Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and I'm here today with Matt Williams. You may know him uh, from his Twitter account, where he is Matt, at Matt Williams, but the two L's in Williams are sevens. So, Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. I love how you have such an eloquent opening after just before starting the recording. Me and you are like hacking like crazy, like we're getting ready for an acapella concert, clearing our throats. I would not, you would not want to hear my singing voice right now. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit this morning with, uh, you know, just clearing my throat repeatedly. So hopefully it won't come through on the podcast and annoy the crap out of everybody. But <laughs> hey, speaking of those two sevens in your Twitter handle, can you explain that? Yeah, there's a lot of science behind it. Um, Matthew, not a very unique name. Williams, not a very unique name. So when I went to start a Twitter account, at Matt Williams, it was taken. Any kind of variation taken. So I just flipped the, set of the L's upside down and uh, went with the two sevens. So uh, as far as reading it straight across, uh, it still reads as Matt Williams. And uh, sevens are kind of a lucky number anyway. So it, it worked out beautifully. So I know a lot of my friends just call me sevens now, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I get a custom jersey made. I just have 77 on the background. So it, it, it worked into something pretty cool. But yeah, the, the reason I did it was out of necessity. <laughs> I love that. So folks, you're not just getting baseball in it but you're getting uh, that level of creativity when you follow Matt on Twitter. And also what you're getting uh, a lot lately is Matt's uh, sort of famous 2020 player breakdowns where he, well, maybe you should talk about what you do to, to do that. I've seen the threads and they are, um, you know, several threads. I don't know if you have a link that you always go for, if it's 10 or 15 or 20, but, um, and then sort of you give your, your summary in the end of what you expect from the player even includes, I think your, your personal projection. So uh, I've, I've enjoyed them. I've seen a lot of players that were interesting to me. Uh, but did, is, do you want to say anything about sort of how you put those together? No, I mean, I appreciate that. I, a lot of people seem to be enjoying them. I, I originally just started them because there was a couple of people that were interesting to me. So I just kind of give their surface stats for the year and, then go from there as far as what to expect. All of them are different. I mean, they're a little lengthy sometimes, you know, the, I, I, there's a couple of them I had to shorten because they only let you put 25 posts in a Twitter thread. Um, <laughs> but I'll go through their batting ball profile, plate discipline, mechanical changes, uh, injury history, pretty much anything that could define how they, how you could value them going forward. Because there's a lot of people that even with advanced saber metrics, or any kind of these popular fan graph stats or baseball savant or wherever you get them from where, where, where people will look at certain things like BABIP or home run to fly ball ratio or anything. And they're, they're kind of misunderstanding what they mean. Cause you have to look at a lot of things in conjunction. So I just kind of break it down layer by layer and um, go through some popular players or at least players that have a little bit of a line drawn of where people don't understand how to value them and just kind of go one at a time. Um, I can't remember where I started, to be honest, uh, which was the first one I did. But I, I did a couple that I just were really interested in. And then I put up a poll um, of four people of who anyone wanted to see next. And that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll put up a poll and uh, whoever uh, people want to hear next, I'll go to. I get a ton of requests. I've done 30 so far. I put out one every single day. And um, I've done them for the last like 30 days. And yeah, I take requests, but uh, now that list is taking me well into almost the uh, the, the regular season. So I, uh, I have cut those off. If there's anyone super interesting because of like circumstance, I'll fit them in and maybe nudge someone else off. But 
Yeah, right now. Uh, yeah, I post one every single morning and uh, they've been pretty well received so far. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen some some shout outs from, you know, I think I saw Vlad Sedler you out and Jeff Zimmerman. So that's never, you, never heard of them. That's some pretty good acclaim you're getting. And, I, you know, these <laughs> yeah, are yeah, getting it's, it's dozens pretty... of likes. So I, I think you've really hit a nerve. I mean, obviously, we love to, to have sort of a, a capsule analysis, but yours, yours go a little deeper than I think maybe anyone was expecting on Twitter. So uh, I think I asked you beforehand if you maybe had two or three of your favorites to, that we could discuss. Um, I don't know how to define <laughs> which ones are your favorites, but um, have you have you thought of any that you uh, wanted to highlight? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Uh, there's a few people that just have general favorites. Uh, one of the ones I know I did early on was Lords Guriel, because he's one of those people. He's on the Blue Jays. So, you know, they got they got Bichette, they got Biggio, they got Vlad. Uh, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. He had a mini breakout last year, and then people are kind of quick to write things like that off. So I, I broke him down and um, just some of the things that he did as far as improving as a hitter was really uh, something that people kind of needed to take a look at. Um Last year, he, you know, he, I guess between double A, triple A and Major League Baseball, he hit 18 home runs in 2018. Um, But then last year he came up, he batted uh, 277, 20 home runs. And he also had four home runs in a few plate appearances in triple A. But, you know, he had uh, his, you know, his hard contact rate, you know, launch angle is a big buzzword. And people kind of uh, will look at him and they will look at like a high home run to fly ball ratio and they'll maybe want to write things like that off but uh you know you you kind of look at everything else he did he um he was an interesting guy and this is where a lot of people write him off if you look at 2018 versus 2019 he was actually a superior hitter by most what most people would assume if you look at his plate discipline uh higher contact rate lower swinging strike rate except he was a lot more selective superior in 2019 2018 he was actually a better hitter in 2018 than 2019 when he theoretically had a breakout and most people would get turned off by that but if you look um he actually uh reduced his ground ball rate um his his line drive to fly ball miles per hour his x velocity for balls he lifted in the air was higher he was barreling the ball more because he was actually being more selective um his swinging strike rate and his uh, contact rate were not as great but he was kind of waiting on the correct kind of pitches to swing at. And that was actually making his overall production better. I mean, I go into a lot more detail than that, but it's kind of little things like that. Um, Garrett Hampson, you know, obviously the, the Rockies are their own dumpster fire of a bat problems, the same as the Rays. Uh, but uh, he, Dave Magadan was uh, their, uh, their hitting coach. Well, in, before, before you move on from um, Lord Lordes or however you say his name, is it Lords or Lordes? I butcher everybody's name. I go with Lords, <laughs> and I just kind of stick with it. Uh, it's it's really interesting how um, you sort of talk about the various places you go. I think to to get this. So I'm sure you're looking at Statcast, and then you're also checking out the plate discipline. Um, and uh, is is there any? Are there any trends that you've seen and sort of what information jumps out? Like, for, I think we all saw uh, Lord Lordes had a extremely hot couple months, basically. I think it was like 10 home runs in June or something like that. And then, um, you know, some, some very good at bats right around there, but a very shortened season. 
So is there anything that you feel is more predictive in such a small sample size of him really taking the next step versus, you know, we saw hot, hot uh, months or weeks from, you know, Aquino and uh, Austin Riley. And uh, is there anything that sort of leads you to believe that, you know, it would, there would be some staying power. No. And especially a guy like, uh, especially a guy like Gurriel, um, you know, he, he has a little bit, like I said, the ground ball rate, the strikeout rate, there's, there's definitely some like red flags, which if you, at first glance, definitely look like someone you, that would be easier to write off or maybe predict that he couldn't make the next step. That's why I kind of look into why, because there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, the numbers don't explain. This is, I kind of get into um, two of the, I think I mentioned earlier in the show, people love to use BABIP and home run to fly ball is kind of a crutch, but it doesn't actually explain anything. It can explain something, but like someone says, oh, he had like 350 BABIP, he'll automatically have a lower batting average. I'm like, well, I mean, how, you know, if he's incredibly fast and uh, you look at his minor league numbers and all of a sudden someone has like a really high BABIP, yeah, you can continue that. But if you look that he's usually like around 310 and he's in 350, you can come down. Home run to fly ball ratio is similar. I mean, you know, the league average is, I don't know, like 12% maybe. Uh, and then people will look at someone, um, you know, who has like around a 30%, like uh, Jorge Soler and think, oh, you know, it's obviously going to come down. No, not necessarily. The <laughs> top of the league will stay there. If you are, you know, elevating the ball and kind of hitting it on the barrel, uh, you can definitely live there for the entire year. But there's like a lot of different things to look at. So it's, it's not necessarily one thing. Um, sometimes, and especially like things like hard contact rate, um, fan graphs really, really uses, uh, adds in a lot of ground balls into their number. Um, whereas StatCast doesn't as much. They do it in very different ways. So if you if you just use hard contact rate for a player, it doesn't actually give you the entire picture, which is why StatCast has something in their uh, leaderboards called, I brought it up before, the uh, fly ball to line drive miles per hour because we don't care how hard you're hitting the ball directly into the ground. We want to know, which I get, again, a, a high ground ball guy like Lords Gurriel, that really skews numbers sometimes because, um, yeah, you don't want him to hit grounders, and that is – a, a totally different point, but uh, when he's improving in that area and you see that when he elevates the ball, you're hitting it a lot better. And there's a lot of examples like this. That is kind of an important thing to look at. So I use fan graphs uh, for most of my, um, as far as like a batted ball profile and play discipline in my threads for continuity. I will just want everything to be consistent because even though the hard contact rate is flawed to a degree, if you're just comparing it to how the player themselves um, performed in the past, it's fine, but you can't use the number um, as a like, you know, end all be all to kind of judge how a player did. Okay. So, so do you find that you, when you, you put all the pieces together uh, more often than not, do you come to a conclusion uh, that this is definitely going to, be, be what happens or do you kind of see a range of outcomes uh when it's all said and done for most of them i've actually been um pretty confident there's some i mean there's a there is some people that are harder to judge for like i said gary hampson earlier it's you know, there's at bad issues stuff like that you can't do anything about but as far as metrically look at jeff mcneil um he had two very different halves both good but very different first half he batted like, you know, he looks like a 320 hitter that's going to be like singles and doubles. 
And he might be like, you know, a batting champion that uh, maybe doesn't bring a lot of power. In the second half, he actually went out of his way. He was quoted as saying he wanted to try to hit for more power. He hit like 280, but, um, you know, you see his end home run total. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, uh, he ended up hitting most of his home run in the second half. So the problem is if you look at the numbers as a whole, it's pointless, literally pointless, because that's not who he was. You have to look at the first half and second half, and he's quoted in the offseason as saying he wants to go into 2020 as a more balanced power hitter. And he's pretty cerebral, so he knows what he's doing. He's not someone who goes up there and kind of closes his eyes and swings. So. <laughs> Um, do we want? Do we expect him to be the 320 hitter we saw, or do you expect to be the 280 power hitter we saw? I'm expecting kind of a blend of the two, and it would not shock me if he actually merged the two. Meaning, we look at a 320 hitter with some power. You can't project that, uh, but it's. I do mention it in the notes. I mean, I think you project him right in the middle. I think he's a 300 hitter, and his power will be up from last year, and he'll get every day at bats. Probably is the Mets everyday third baseman. So he's a good example of someone where you can look into it and maybe not come to a definitive conclusion. Uh, another example of definitive conclusions is young players because you can't project growth necessarily. If you have enough sample size and you see someone improving year over year um, in, in certain areas, then it's easier. Like Ahmed Rosario, he improves year over year in his, in his plate discipline. So you can just see growth there. But in, in some younger people like Vladimir Guerrero, for example, you, you can't tell because uh, you know they're really talented and they could just make quick adjustments and some guys just will even grow further. I mean, and that'll come out of nowhere. Two examples like that from 2019 that I don't think anyone could have seen coming when I look back in the numbers, uh, Rafael Devers and Johan Moncada. Yes. Like perfect. when I look back <laughs> at those two players and I look back at their 2018 numbers and even the seasons before both of them, I think were up in 2017 that there's no sign that 2019 is going to come. And of course they were both, you know, top 50 hit um, Devers was like a top 20 hitter. And, um, you know, like uh, they were being drafted probably what 10th round or later. And mm -hmm. it just, when I look back, I'm like, Oh man, I would love to find the next Moncada or the next Devers. But when I look back at their numbers, I see no signs that the, 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 <laughs> the breakouts were coming. So I, that's the problem I, with I the people that are about like, yeah. Vlad, like Vlad is a good example. You know, it's kind of the same thing with him. You know, we we can all imagine him hitting 300 this year, but you really can't find it in the numbers. Yeah, that's the problem with people that are stats only, which I'm stats heavy. But that's why you have people that are scouting only, which is a mistake. You have people that is stats only, which is a mistake, because you need to be able to do both to obviously do this properly. But for fantasy baseball purposes, who has that kind of time for the, you know, the <laughs> casual player? So numbers is is a safer way to go. Um, for guys like Vladimir Jr., Vladimir Guerrero, you know he's good. You know, he's one of those people. He's too good to be as bad as he was when he came up. So you expect him to do better, but you're paying for that. So yeah. it's okay if you want to find the next Moncada or Devers, but like you said, they were going late. Go late. Yeah. There's there's some options for guys that can make that next step. Well, you know, funnily enough, I think uh, Guriel could be could be one of those. He's a young player mm -hmm. with, you know, a small sample and and the improvements – He's, he's certainly had some good results, but you haven't really seen the underlying improvements, but uh, you, you see some potential there. Uh, yeah, I, um, I liked what you said about McNeil too. And uh, just for context, your projection for him was, you know, to hit 302 and, and 25 home runs. So it's kind of like a, a merging of everything he, he did so far. You know, he, the, the batting average you think will come back up, but the power you feel like is going to stay. So I think that's, 
probably an interesting one for people to read. And I did want to uh, prompt you to, to, to go back to uh, Garrett Hampson. Cause that's an interesting one for me. Yeah. The uh, he's, he's a guy where here's a guy. It's funny. I, we did a podcast yesterday and, and Sam Lane, FF Stompy kept going. Here's a guy for anyone who's a football fan, Chris Collingsworth <laughs> sliding with his chair. Um, he's got in my head. Garrett Hampson struggled mightily when he came up, like a lot of rookies do. And um, the log jam issue is a completely separate thing. You know, we don't know what the abats are. I think he's talented enough and the Rockies are going through a transition where I think maybe they'll finally get the hint and play uh, the young players. But again, you're getting into the mind of the Rockies brass and that is not a place where you want to go. Uh, it's a scary place, but uh, Garrett Hampson uh, in, in August, uh, Dave Maggot in the Rockies uh, hitting coach saw that, uh, you know, he kind of had a little bit of a, uh, of a lunge or like kind of a, like, you know, a hitch in his swing or as far as he was, he was taking a little too much time mm-hmm. as a timing mechanism, um, kind of stepping forward uh, to, to time pitches in the minor leagues. He did that the whole time. He was very high contact guy in the minor leagues. There was no problem with it. But when you get to the major leagues, when people are burning like gas, every pitch and throwing this ungodly, um, you know, curve balls and sliders your way, you cannot waste any time. So he introduced a toe tap instead. Some, you know, I mean, it is exactly what it sounds like. You're just, you're just basically barely lifting your foot off the ground as a timing mechanism. You pull your hands back and you, you pull the trigger like a rubber band. And it, it gives you that extra step where you're not inside of your head and you're just kind of, you know, the way hitting should be. Um, you're just kind of taking, you know, your instincts to the ball. The first game he instituted that toe tap, he took Michael Walker deep for a home run. I know that's not saying much. It's Michael Waka. But um, after that, he had kind of like a killer um, rest of the season. I'm actually trying to get up my thread now so I can get the uh, the proper statistics to you without making some stuff up. Um, <laughs> no, he did have a very hot uh, September, I remember. Um, he didn't, still didn't here play we go. quite yeah, so here every day, we Got it right here. Was... He batted 318, five home runs, six stolen bases. Uh, he actually brought down his walk rate was up to 7.4 K rate down to 18.9, 378 Woba, 216 ISO, which, you know, I mean, is, is pretty insane. Um, so you're not going to expect that over 162 games. That's 43 home runs and 60 stolen bases, <laughs> but it gives you an idea of, you know, you, you look at his track record in the minor leagues and he was a high contact, you know, he's a very talented guy. So when you make a mechanical adjustment and see immediate results like this, it's kind of easier to hop on board with a guy that was supposed to be good anyway. So I'm pretty excited about Hampson. I know I projected him to bat uh, 270, 10 home runs, 21 stolen bases, gave him 350 at bats because it's hard to give him more than that right now. But I can see them giving giving him more. And, you know, you just basically can extrapolate based on how many at bats he gets. But I'm pretty excited about him. The Rockies are just a team that I actively avoid because they just seem so disinclined to play their good players. But Not a bad um, call. <laughs> what, what's that? Not a bad call to avoid them. <laughs> but I really, I, I really like that analysis, and I like the fact that you identified a tangible change. You know, I feel like that's a that's an important. You know, we can't just say, "Oh, this September proves that he's a better player now, and so he's going to have a great year." you know, he's going to do this or just extrapolate numbers and everything. Like you said, we can't do. Um, I like the way you did it and said, well, why did he have such a good September? And you actually found a, a tweak that his hitting coach made. I think that's really cool. One other um, great example. And he was one of my more favorite threads to write, uh, to write was Max Kepler. As far as someone where you're like, where did this come from? There was no way of knowing. 
you could not have predicted Max Kepler's breakout. If you look in the numbers, you weren't finding it anywhere. The Twins, as an organization, decided that they wanted everyone to elevate the ball more. They wanted everyone to pull the ball more. They wanted to take advantage of power. And as you see, they were one of the, you know, the best power hitting teams in the entire league. Yeah, uh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, 11, 11 of their hitters had double digit home runs. Five had at least 30. And, you know, they're on their way to doing it again. So you look at him, you look at Mitch Garver. Uh, they made very, they made a big mechanical change. Um, Max Kepler is still doesn't have maybe the exact numbers you're looking for from a power hitter, but launch angle, pull percentage, barrel percentage, hard, co- hard contact percentage all up. And he made, um, and he makes, you know, pretty fantastic contact for a power hitter too, because he was being more aggressive at the plate, but he already had a naturally good eye. His swinging, per- his swinging strike rate was 2% below league average, but a Z contact for anyone who doesn't know what that is. Uh, if you look on fan graphs, O and Z, uh, they have O swing, Z swing, O contact, Z contact. And O is for pitches outside of the strike zone. And Z is for ones inside of the strike zone. Uh, his Z contact was 92.2%. If the ball was in the strike zone, Max Kepler was hitting it. So everything about his breakout is very legitimate. Um, I don't know. That, you, go ahead. One of the things I've always wondered about Kepler is – why does he have um, like an Albert Pujols like Babbitt? You know, it's just always extremely low. Uh, you know, I think, you know, one thing that you can see sometimes with a guy who makes such constant contact, um, Pujols also makes a ton of contact, but the ball's going right into somebody's glove. And I think that mm-hmm. could be part of the reason Kepler can't seem to hit for a better batting average. He, he did raise it in, in 2019, but only to 252. Um, do you have, uh, well, you, I know you uh, probably included that in your thread. What did you project for him there? Uh, batting average wise, I think I only have him around like 260 because it, it is that case. When you make that amount of, amount of contact, uh, you're going to, uh, balls are going to find a lot of gloves. Like I said, I mean, unless you're baseball, Michael Brantley or yeah, Jeff McNeil, <laughs> you hit, you hit 300, uh, you're failing seven out of 10 times. <laughs> so right, if you right. make a ton of contact, you know, it's, it's kind of hard uh, to kind of uh, get past that sometimes. But uh, if you kind of look at his expected stats, um, there's a lot to like there. His expected batting average was 262 rather than 252. So I think that there definitely could be some, um, there definitely could be some growth there. Like I said, his, 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 his line drive fly ball miles per hour was a little lower than you'd probably like to see out of a, uh, out of a power hitter, but uh, he still was able to hang with um, some other similarly uh, successful players. Like his home, his fly ball line drive exit velocity was still above Alex Bregman and Anthony Rizzo. Uh, his barrels per plate appearances uh, were okay, um, not elite, but still good enough to be above Nolan Arenado and Francisco Lindor, for example. So um, he's fine where he is, but he's still young and he made a conscious decision to do something very different last year. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could just make another adjustment to improve upon that. But I don't think you can necessarily safely project that. I think it's safe to assume what you saw last year is what you're hoping to get. But, um, you know, I think anybody would be okay with that. I mean, he did yeah. have 36 home runs and yeah, pretty His great speed, uh, stolen bases. I think there's actually a little room for improvement. Uh, he has a very, 
he has a pretty decent sprint speed, like 71 percentile. And he was caught five times last year. So I know the twins are probably not looking to steal many bases uh, because, you know, they're all about home runs. But uh, he has it in him to turn in an outlier and stolen bases. But it's not exactly actionable because you can't draft him assuming that. Right. Yeah, I think we're actually about to talk about him when we get to the ADP stuff. So um, we'll, we'll, we might have something to say about where he's specifically. But, um, yeah, I think your your projection seems pretty reasonable to me. I would probably take the under on the 260-ish batting average. But, I mean, Steamer agrees with you. So you're in good company there. Um, ATC's got him at 252, just like he had last year. I just um, – the, the low Babbitt hitters – always elude me as to, you know, what to, what to see coming for them. And, and so I typically go with, you know, it's going to be about where it's been historically, but anyway, the, I just can't recommend these, um, these player threads enough. They're, they're just a lot of fun to, to read and see what you're thinking and what goes into your um, sort of bottom line of where you see the player going in 2020. So um, keep it up. Well, you said, did you say, um, I, I sort of got distracted when you were talking earlier, but did you say that you're you're done for the season or you're going to keep no, these up? I, no, I got, okay. I, got, I got so many more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have I so mean, many more. Can, I could even see this uh, continuing into the season as, as we have, um, you know, some breakouts and some, you know, player call-ups and all kinds of stuff like that. So I hope Yeah, you there'll are. probably be a lull. Um, at the uh, Towards the end of spring training, I'll probably throw out some as far as key numbers to look at in spring training, which um, – you know, I won't get into now, but there actually is some actionable data in spring training that sticks from year to year. And I'll get into that into some threads too. There's some things to look for uh, that are uh, again, year to year, pretty helpful uh, in, in, in season, there'll probably be a little bit of lull in the beginning. And then once there's more data, I'll, I'll probably do many uh, versions of these where I can show people that are uh, trending in certain directions. Awesome. Well, like I said, keep up the good work. And um, so now we'll, we'll transition over to the, the ADP section. I, I know it's been a, a week or so since I've since I've had a guest on to go through these, but you've agreed to to do that, and we're picking up at pick um, 151. Uh, however, uh, since I did this last and and went through one, 150, uh, Brandon Workman and Max Kepler, who we're just talking about, have uh, have jumped into that range. So Kepler is now going 148th, and Workman is going 150th. So We'll include those players in uh, players that we may or may not talk about if we're targeting or avoiding at this price. But uh, before we, you know, let me just rattle off the uh, players going between 151 and 165. That would be the 11th round at 15 teamers. And uh, you just, I, I know you've got it pulled up too. So just um, when we get, maybe you can jot down a, a couple that you want to talk about, but uh, we're just going to, discuss whether or not we're targeting or avoiding or if we maybe disagree about a player. So anyway, 151, we've got Emilio Pagan. 152 is David Dahl. 153, Robbie Ray. 154, Kyle Hendricks. 155, Hansel Robles. 156, Corey Seager. 157, Jorge Polanco. 158, Malik Smith. He's dropped down into this range. We talked about him last time, actually. Uh, 159, Scott Kingery, 160, Jose Leclerc, 161, Gavin Lux, 162, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 163, Archie Bradley, 164, Byron Buxton, and 165, Julio Urias. So, uh, including 
uh, Workman and Kepler, is there anybody that I just uh, named that you are specifically targeting and think this is a great price for them? There's actually a few. Um, yeah. Max Kepler, definitely. I, I I went over all the reasons why he, if especially if you're looking for power, which I know power is easier to find nowadays, but you kind of go up further into the ADP and you see like guys like Yasiel Puig still in the 119 area. Um, you know, I mean, give me a break, you know, I mean, even his teammate Miguel Sano, 121, third base is pretty deep. So I'm not sure why, um, with his track record of riskiness, again, his ceiling is insane. So there's no, you know, there's, I'm not saying that drafting him there couldn't be an immense potential, but uh, just as in terms of comparison, uh, Max Kepler is, is a great value at 150, probably the best value on the board as far as power. I know Kyle Schwarber is sitting kind of right there too. Um, he is going right behind Schwarber and Fran Reyes and, and to be, uh, you know, and that's exactly why I haven't gotten more Max Shep, Max Kepler. I actually got my first, um, I, I drafted Max Kepler for the first time and uh, it wasn't actually a draft. It was an auction league. And I think that's one reason I got him. I actually got Fran Mill too. Uh, Cause I think, you know, a, a, a powerful outfielder at around this price and, you know, that's under $10 and a, and a, is pretty awesome. Um, so I, I like all of those guys. I, I think you said Schwarber too. I, th- I uh, we talked about Schwarber and Framil in in the last round of this, and um, I think I think Kepler belongs there. I I, I kind of prefer the other two because you can really see that like forty home run, forty plus home run. Ceiling. I prefer Framil a lot. I take him much earlier. I mean, I actually did a thread on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. I see Pete Alonzo numbers possibly, but you're not paying for them. Again, Peter Alonzo, I'm a Mets fan. Incidentally, he's like one of the worst values in the entire draft because I mean, I mean, even if, I mean, I see him maybe it's sophomore slump. So if he did it again, I wouldn't necessarily uh, be surprised, but you need where you're drafting him. You absolutely have to have him do what he did last year. I mean, he needs to do it. Which which is just not, I mean, you cannot expect a guy to hit 50 plus home runs every yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, People he regresses just... to Chris Davis level, 247, 40 home runs. I could see that, but it's not worth where you're taking him. You're telling me that Fran Mel Reyes can't do that at <laughs> pick 148? Yeah, he can. Yeah. Well, I, I get the, the need for a power outfielder here. What? Wh- who else uh, in this range would you say is a target? Um, David Dahl, no. Uh, just cause, uh, at, at bats injury history, again, if he, if he ends up being a top 25 out there, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not paying for it. Uh, Kyle Seeger or, uh, Corey Seeger, uh, is one of the biggest values on the board. In my opinion, you look, I mean, he was coming off of, a was it hip injury and Tommy John surgery. So he's at the beginning of his season was kind of lost. And if you look at his season as a whole, it looks like maybe, oh, he's, he may be because he's never going to be the same again. You look back to his 2016 season when, you know, he was almost like an MVP candidate or he was an MVP candidate. Like, you know, maybe we're just not going to get that anymore. If you look at May 1st on, he was like a 30 home run, 120 RBI pace. And I know that launch angle is kind of like a trendy thing to talk about, but they bought, they brought in the uh, coach Von Skyock and he is very famous for turning around JD Martinez. <laughs> and shockingly enough, that is exactly what Corey Seager did. Um, very specific changes to his launch angle. There's video of him even practicing it. He sold out a little bit of batting average to try to hit for more power, and it showed at, across the board. He was, um, he was like I, I told you the pace. He was on 30 for 120. I don't think he's going to necessarily do that over a full season, but he's one of those guys where you forget how young he is. 
he, he came to the majors really, really, um, really, really young. And you're only, you're only injury prone until you're not. I think I said that in my Jorge Soler. <laughs> you thought he was injured forever. He then played 162 games, all of them. Uh, so it's hard, to, even though you, people want to write him off as injury prone, and that makes sense in your head. It's hard for you to swallow the fact that he just played 162 games. So how can you call him an injury risk if he just played 162 games? I'm not saying I expect that at Corey Seager. It's a risk. He is definitely a risk for injury. But um, I, I expect him to bring his batting average back up. I think that uh, if you look at someone very similarly on the left-hand side, Freddie Freeman actually had a similar kind of way he went about kind of um, – he started kind of like Corey Seager and all of a sudden he's found his power and then he merged the two. I think that you could be looking at something like that with Corey Seager. It's, you can't project that, but it's definitely in the realm of possibility. So again, at pick 157 in a really short deep top uh, shortstop position, this is a reason why you can kind of wait on shortstop, grab a guy like that. So yeah, Corey Seager, I'm getting him everywhere. Was he pretty healthy at the end of the season? It looked like he played 27 games in August and 23 games in September. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, if... after after he kind of got the rust off from his other injuries, he 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 stuck out there. Okay. Well, that's definitely an interesting name. Uh, he was uh, big prospects coming up and has never really got it going yet. But like you said, still very young. So he's 25. He'll be 26 in a few months. So. Mm -hmm. uh, and still has time to put it all together. I mean, he was being taken in what the third round <laughs> two years ago. I think so. I mean, he's definitely going a lot higher than even last year. He was going top 75 or so. I think, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, maybe moved around a lot. Obviously the injuries affect things, but it's, that's a good crowd. I, I, I don't know if I've actually drafted Corey Seager, but I was probably just overlooking him. Honestly. I mean, this is a, a time where I'm usually drafting like a closer or two and, you know, maybe getting Fran Mill you know, the round before. So it's, it's, uh, it's easy to, to overlook him there, but he could certainly, you know, if we think he really can get back to being close to a 300 hitter and, and bring the power with him, that's an interesting name to call out. Yeah. I usually don't wait until this ADP. I I'm grabbing him. I am grabbing him early. Cause I want to make sure I get him because I am, I am excited about Seager this year. Wow. Um, it's another guy in this range, Scott Kingery. He, he's basically one of those, like, what do you call post type sleepers? <laughs> Yeah, he's he's actually I've I've kind of been looking into him the last week or so, and it's very intriguing. He's another guy who you really can't see uh, the the batting average breakout coming, but it's not hard to dream on it just because he was a prospect and all that. But I mean, he he hits pretty consistently in the two forty you know to two fifty range, I think, and so you kind of feel like uh, you know you're getting a toolsy player, but you're you're going to have to build your team around you know absorbing that average but he's another one that this is a you know it's a it's a reasonable uh stab to take and it comes with a lot of uh well some power and, and a lot of speed so it's, it's an interesting pick um i actually had I'm, I'm i'm sort of have have accepted the mantle of uh being the danny santana guy because i like speed and power so much that you know to get him at first base i'm willing to take him you know, around where he's going in the eighth round and it could all come crashing down, but I, I see some skills that actually back it up. And um, I was talking to Brian Rudd about that on, on my last, uh, on one of my recent episodes. And, and he actually tossed out Scott Kingery as a, as a different position, but a reasonably, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get the same kind of things from him, you know, a, 
roughly a 2020 potentially, you know, somewhere between 15, 15 and 2020. Um, and, and they both have a little batting average risk. I think we can admit, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I like Kingery. I, I think I might try to target him. I haven't as of yet, but um, he'd be an interesting guy to, to at least uh, keep an eye on. So he's, he's a hard guy to project. He's one of those, you know, because he's young, you don't know, he's still coming along and making adjustments at the major league level. Um, last year he, he did, you know, he finally did a little better after signing that big contract ever, never having it at bat. And he disappointed out of the gate last year. He was probably the I don't know, maybe the, the most optimistic player, the Phillies fans could, could, could kind of take a look at as far as the future goes, he pulled the ball 47.1% and, uh, increases launch angle to 17.5. I know I bring that up a lot, but I got that. That is the era we live in, especially with the juice balls, his 15.2 high home run fly ball ratio, wouldn't be a concern usually because that's kind of around league average, but it was a lot higher than he is typically doing. Uh, if you look at his 2017 in double a, he had three thirteen with 18 home runs, almost a 300 ISO and a 15.7 home run to fly ball ratio. So you're looking at first something he's done before, but the difference is in 2017, he did that with over a 50% fly ball rate and he pulled 41.6. That's not hard to do. Um, in the minors is trying to in double a take all these people yard but in 2019 his fly ball rate was down to 39.9 but he pulled 47.1 percent so he was hitting less fly balls but he was being a lot more aggressive in how how he was pulling them so uh the launch angle kind of helps in that direction kind of hitting more line drives but the Doing that is kind of is 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 a little volatile for someone with such a low exit velocity and his Swing and strike rate is 29.4, which is bottom 8%. Um, so it would be more palatable if he was uh, had a more patience approach at the plate, which he doesn't, but he is young. So you could kind of make that step. So this year will be a make or break thing. But I think, yeah, like I think he's definitely a good value at where he's being taken because I would think even if he doesn't make a giant step forward, you can still get an okay batting average, maybe 250, 2020 season. Um, in a really, really nice lineup in a really good hitters park. So at his price, I like it. Scott Kingery. Interesting. You know, this is now that I look at it, just sort of surveying all the picks that are going around here all the way from, um, you know, Corey Seager, uh, Kingery Lux, we haven't talked about, maybe we will, but Lord is Guriel right after him, who we have talked about. It's kind of the shoot your shot range. None of these guys are, you know, expected to hit close to 300 i don't think and it may be Corey seager uh and then also hit for you know power or a good combination of power and speed but you could see it for all of them mm-hmm. and uh it's kind of like pick pick your guy or like you said with there's seager. a lot of league winners in this range we're talking about today a possible i'm sorry not league winners possible league winners league winner candidates <laughs> i think there, i think you know it's it's probably reasonable to say there will be a league winner in here somewhere we, we just don't know exactly who it is that's kind of what i was trying to ask you with Lourdes earlier uh you know for me the error bars on on what you're going to get from that are pretty wide but that doesn't make them bad picks that makes them upside picks and for a lot of these guys the upside is really starting to intrigue me um, just because I mentioned him uh, before we leave this range, well, before, before we go negative, <laughs> let's talk about Gavin Lux. And uh, well, actually, I don't know if he's negative or positive for you. Are you targeting him or avoiding him or neither? I wasn't. I was not targeting him only because this. I told you this range is like it's hard for me to get him on my team, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, especially at second base, which is 
people talk about shortstop being deep. Sec, second base is really deep too. But yeah, I, I like Lux. I like everything and I love them more after the trade. There's so many people talking about Verdugo, Betts, Jock Peterson, even, uh, you know, especially Kenta Maeda, you know, stripling. There's so many moving parts, but Gavin Lux doesn't get talked about as a beneficiary of this trade enough. And why it's a big deal is he was young and he was not guaranteed every day at bats. He just wasn't because uh, Mookie, or what do you call it, uh, in the outfield, they kind of had their log jam of Verdugo and Jock Peterson. Um, a couple of those guys move out. All of a sudden, Cody Bellinger is now going to be playing every day, probably in the outfield, meaning Max Muncy is probably going to be playing most days at first base, meaning Gavin Lux is probably going to be playing most days at second base. Um, so as far as at-bats go, this was a big plus for Gavin Lux. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, you know, you, it's it's hard to know what the Dodgers will do. To me, they're almost another team like the Rockies where – you just there's there's too much you know uh, between you know with their pitching staff and with their platooning situation and, and the Rays are another one. It's just it's just hard to know what they're going to do. And uh, even if Gavin Lux does see everyday playing time, will it be at the bottom of the lineup? That kind of thing. But uh, this is getting to be, to be about the range where you know a prospect of his caliber. It's uh, it's looking kind of like a value uh, if if he. If it's if it's likely that he'll you know be in the lineup to start the season and most every day, so an interesting one. Not a guy that I'm targeting. Actually, I have to say none of these guys have I really targeted. And again, it goes back to this is kind of where I'm taking my closers. I take closers a little later than most people. So like, I'll just say it real fast. I don't have much, but like, if I was picking from these guys, Hansel Robles and uh, Jose Leclerc. Uh, would be my choices because I'm a little bit worried about Archie Bradley's skills. And I'm a little bit worried that Emilio Pagan, in fact, I'm not even just worried. I know he doesn't have the job. I mean, <laughs> there was an article uh, the, uh, about the Rays talking or the Rays manager talking about uh, working in a lot of guys from Nick Anderson to, um, to uh, Jose Alvarado and Diego Castillo. So it's going to be a committee there. And I think people just haven't quite caught up with that, but um but yeah, but I, like I said, even though I'm not really targeting them, I'm intrigued by all these hitters. So uh, let's talk about avoids in this range. Is there anybody um, other than Malik Smith? I, Mike Carlin and I mm-hmm. talked about Malik Smith and we both just let him have it. Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> so I think, I think it's pretty clear that the, most of uh, the community is avoiding Malik Smith. Unless you have a different take on Malik Smith, you don't have to talk about him as a void. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Malik Smith. <laughs> no. Uh, before we move on from the uh, to, to negatives or, or, or people I'm avoiding, I, I do want to mention Kyle Hendricks, <laughs> who's in this okay. range. Is probably probably one of the better values at starting pitching. I know this. I know this range is is kind of crazy as we as we're going through them. It's like uh, I need I need six picks in the ten, in the eleventh round. You know. <laughs> yeah, and it's just. I mean, and I'm fine kind of grabbing all, a lot of these guys much earlier than that. I mean, Mike Soroka is going like very early in the draft. He had a two six eight ERA, three eight five xFIP, twenty point three strikeout percentage, fourteen point four K to walk. Wow, um, Soroka is going 96th. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Hendricks is going 154th. That is not right. Yeah, Kyle Hendricks 3-4 ERA. Um, you just want a Soroka who has a track record? I mean, come on, people. I know. I mean, I mean, Hendricks has a has a, a superior K percentage, a superior K to walk percentage, the same WHIP. 
um, a better hard contact rate in the same swinging strike rate, except I don't know if people forget Kyle Hendricks once had a two, one, three ERA and a 0.98 whip with 170 strikeouts. I need, um, to, I need to draft closer somewhere else so I can get some of these guys, you know, I yeah. just, this is crazy. Well, so I'm, I'm definitely with you, but let's look uh, at the, oh at the round previous and see, would you take Kyle Hendricks over Eduardo Rodriguez? Yes. Would you take him? Although, hold on. I should say, this is why I don't like ADP. I don't like rankings. I'm a team construction guy. It depends on what you're looking for. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is a guy you can definitely throw in if you maybe you took some risks earlier. Um, if you took some guys that you're very confident in, I could see maybe going for some riskier pitchers later um, instead of him. But I, in, the, in this case, I think he has a good ceiling and a good floor anyway. But in, just in general, I'm not definitely a person that's black or white take a guy over someone or not you know what i mean totally agree with the philosophy and you know who knows you if you were a eduardo rodriguez guy then you might feel differently but uh going you know before i'd rather have him i'd rather have him instead of medicine bumgarner who's going to 122 yeah and you already called out Soroka. So there's a lot of pitchers in there. Jesus Lazardo is another guy that I feel like is just not going to get the innings this year. Um, there's a lot of pitchers in there that I think are going to be landmines. And that's one reason I just kind of avoid them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I kind of do the two ace thing, which I'm sure you've heard of, which is, you know, try to get two starting pitchers in the first, you know, three or four rounds at least, if not the first two rounds. And the reason for that is because I just don't trust myself to find the right guys in rounds like seven through 12. Um, But Kyle Hendricks is about as surefire as you can get. And going into 11th round, I mean, I would, I would take him over a lot of those guys. I prefer he be my fourth starting pitcher. I think Frankie Montas, who's going at like 117 is the, I think the end of the line for where I would be comfortable with my SP three being I'd, I think that that's probably where I draw it. If Hendricks was, and I, because I went in other areas and I felt good, I, I'd be fine there. But um, yeah, I, I think Hendricks as a starting pitcher four is where I'd be most comfortable. Well, that's interesting. Well, did you have any avoids? I know you kind of said David Dahl you're out on here. Uh, anybody else in this range that you're just not getting? Oh, let me just say one more thing. I Again, I have not gotten him. I don't, I don't think. Um, maybe I... Maybe I have in like a best ball. I only only did one best ball. I think I got Jorge Polanco here. He's going 157th. He's not like a flashy guy, but he is a very good hitter. He's going to hit for you, – you can go ahead and pencil in a 280 or 290 average as the floor. And um, The counting stats are in that Minnesota lineup. And that, <laughs> that is the real point, you know. So you, I don't know if he's going to get you, you know, 25 home runs or more. Probably not. And he does, you know, like like you said, the twins don't really need to steal because they just get a few people on base and then you know knock a dinger. But but there's just some value here, you know. Like you have to you have to you're, you're not looking for the traditionally things that you're looking for in a shortstop like speed uh, from Jorge Polanco. But what he's going to get you uh, in the eleventh round is is extremely valuable. But now I will throw the question to you. Sorry about that. Um, anyone you're avoiding besides David Dahl? Not really. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of okay closers in here. I mean, I Hansel Robus I avoid, but that's that's because I'm a Mets fan, and anyone who's a Mets fan understands where I'm coming from with that. It's a blind hatred, and I'm never going to do it. Uh, <laughs> what about Byron Buxton? What are you doing with him here? I can't, I can't see going there. There's too many other good. Va- the reason why he's in a void for me is because of the value around him. There's, 
there's someone i mean his minimum pick is 130 no way um his his uh max pick is 195 maybe we're talking around 195 but in this range no i mean 195 you're talking about taking him around paul DeJong, kevin newman and uh you know guys like wilson ramos i mean I, i'm trying to find someone in his actual uh position range yeah uh, yeah i mean adam it's eaton just, is back tough. there it's tough I, because there's a lot there's so many good outfielders you know not just around here but like we were talking about a bunch of them you know just a few picks earlier and then there are so many that i want to take late it's like it's really hard to take an outfielder where you just it's a it's a dart throw it's a roll of the dice you don't know what you're getting so i you know i worry about him you know it's also it's decent... actually you, you mentioned you didn't like malik's yeah um you know I, you know and i don't really want to plant my flag on buxton stolen bases it's it's kind of why early no matter what um you kind of have to get your power speed guys early because i don't especially jonathan villar moved from camden yards where he did like 75 percent of his power production to miami so the power is gone now it's just a speed only guy under don mattingly who does not particularly like to run as much not that i think that'll ding him too much but taking speed only guys is, is a huge problem this year it's it's best to go by the death by a thousand paper cuts uh, you know, go with Austin Meadows types, go with Automed Rosario types, try to get your 15 stolen bases every, like pick a bunch of them rather than try to get that one guy who's going to steal maybe 40 like Malik's because they're going to hurt you somewhere else. I actually just talked about that. I put out a really short episode uh, just a few days ago and talked about the fact that, you know, these, even, even I actually compared Trey Turner and Lindor in the, and I said, I really like this balance from Lindor. You know, I like the fact that you're getting uh, plus contributions in the home run category, uh, even a little bit more than Turner in the runs category, and a lot more um, in positive in the uh, RBI category where Turner's a bit of a negative. So just different ways to win, 100%. Uh, agree with that, but I'm, I'm with you on the kind of like, I'll, I'll take a 30-10 guy over a uh, 15-20 guy. We, we just did a our shortstop preview on uh, my podcast turn two. Max freeze was on as the guest and yeah, I'm um, I'm out on Trey Turner. Uh, I'm wow. completely out because there's no scenario in which at ADP, I'm probably going to take him well, for team that, construction yeah. purposes. So it's yeah, not that, that I think he's bad. If he ends up being the number one shortstop, it would not surprise me, but there's too many risk factors. I mean, I can get him to him now, but it's like a whole, it's a whole yeah, rabbit no, hole. No. I, I get it. And, and, you know, I think I would probably be out on him uh, at his projection. I, I'm a little higher. Like I, I do see a scenario where I could take Turner, um, but you know, he'd have to fall to like the end of the first round, which I've seen him do. Um, and you know, that has, that's very contingent on me believing that he can beat his projection if he can stay healthy for the whole season. But you know, there's risk there. And uh, we talked, I talked about this with Brian that, you know, there's, there's the risk of you put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> and if you lose that basket, then you're in deep trouble. Well, they get, I, I'll be very, very brief here with Trey, just um, the, Jeff Zimmerman, I mean, him were talking about this. I mean, when you, uh, the, the difference between stolen bases between leadoff and batting third is tremendous. And he tried to, he made the case that it wasn't as bad of a deal because he was trying to use people that were projected to steal 30 plus bases moving from first to third. But the fact of the matter is that's not many people. If you're projected to steal that many, you usually don't bat third. Um, you know, if he bats third with his injury history, 
it's possible they don't have him run as much. Um, his runs will go. His I mean, no, his runs will be fine. His RBIs will go up. His stolen bases will go down. So he'll still have plenty of value. But I mean, that again tagged with his injury history. His 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 plate discipline is worse. He got his O swing was was worse. His swing and strike was worse. Again, if he ended up being the number one shortstop, I would not be surprised in the little bit. But when I'm drafting the first or second round, I want to limit my red flags. And he just, you know, his adds up a little too much for me. I'd be fine taking him. I think I'm, I'm not, I don't argue with anyone for taking him. He's just not for me. <laughs> it's an interesting, you know, like conundrum of buying the stat line versus evaluating the risk, you know, but uh, yeah, I can, I can sort of see it. Uh, I just noticed <laughs> sitting there at the last pick, we, we just, we just uh, read off. I just read off 165 Julio Urias. I think he's a pretty good value here. Um, especially, you know, the trade, I won't say that the trade cleared the way for any pitcher there, you know, price is going to get his share of work and they've got, you know, Dustin May and Gonsolin and Jimmy uh, Nelson wandering around somewhere. I mean, like, I don't know who's going to get, how many innings for the Dodgers, but I do know that I, I believe Julio Urias will get you valuable innings when he's on the mound. So at 165, he's not a bad pick in my opinion. No, I mean, yeah, they're only down one pitcher, but it does help. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they bring in price, they ship off Maeda and they ship off stripling. Uh, so yeah, it can't hurt, but anyone who's worried about this, the, the starting pitching, maybe that enters in, for for some pl- people but for, it's 165 if you're in a daily moves league where you can stream uh or you know even in weekly leagues where you know you'll you'll probably hopefully get heads up i know the dodgers uh won't be able to do the as crazy things now that the 15 day dl is back or il whatever the hell they call it these days instead of the 10 uh so it'll be a little easier for them not um for fantasy owners to manage uh, but at 165 i think the risk is fine because of how big his upside is there's not yeah, that many people with his talent in this area you're 100 percent right that that is very frustrating i think i owned him at some point last year and and um and uh, Maeda as well on the same team. And it was really frustrating because, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh, he's not going to get a start this week. They're, you know, he's coming off the IL. They're not going to – and you're trying to decide whether or not to put him in your lineup. But I will say that, you know, his skills, and I'll throw Maeda in that group here too, um, are pretty pretty at the top of anybody who's going around here. I, I'd maybe put uh, Herman Marquez in that group too. And the interesting thing about Marquez is that, you have the same conundrum with him. It's like, do I start him this week? Because of course. So, uh, you know, if you're going to get his pitcher of this level of skill after this point in the draft, um, you know, you could do a lot worse than your IS. Yeah. Uh, I think, but- I think that's where team construction also comes in because I think if you're, if you're comfortable with your starting pitching earlier, you better have and- some innings locked up. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If you I have agree. your innings, you can take that risk. Right. But maybe if, Maybe if you took some guys where you're not too sure, um, you know, a few picks later, a guy like Matthew Boyd is sitting there who, you know, he's not flashy or anything, but he's going to, he's going to kind of at least stabilize and kind of give you what you expect. So it's like, that's kind of the decision you make. Um, You know, you know who he's going to be playing each week, you know, you know who, you know what his schedule is going to be. That's very nice. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting. Well, we'll talk about the next few when we uh, finally get to this next round. I, you know, Everybody, Matt and I seem to like the entire eleventh round. So, you, you can't <laughs> except for Malik Smith, get out of here, Malik Smith. <laughs> All right, well let's let's press on. I'm going to list off the next one. Um, so, actually, it starts with a guy we were talking about earlier. One sixty six is Garrett Hampson. One sixty seven, Will Smith, the catcher. 
168, Salvador Perez, 169, Justin Turner, 170, Encarnacion, 171, Matt Boyd, 172, uh, Sean Manaya, 173, Aquino, Aristides Aquino, 174, Willie Calhoun, 175, Ian Kennedy, 176, Mike Miner, 177, Gene Segura, 178, Herman Marquez, who I just mentioned, 179, Jake Odorizzi, and 180, J.D. Davis. So another stacked round, in my opinion, but um, I'll let you go first. What, what's what's uh, one of your biggest targets here? Salvador Perez. Uh, I have no idea why he's going this late. Catcher, go, it's, it's going hard. Going after get... Will Smith. I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why he's going as late. He is just in general. I mean, I know people, he was out the whole last year. People are like, oh, he's he's injury prone. I mean, this is from 2014 on 606 plate appearances, 553, 546, 499, and 544 for a catcher. He's a catcher. Get out of here with that stuff. I mean, he That's... might see some at bats at first base too to kind of save him. I mean, and he all, all those years, he gets 20 home runs. He had 27 twice. I guess, you know, like I'll give people that he, you know, he has to come back and prove that he's full strength and all, but there's, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to at this price, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, right. Definitely, At this price, it's not much of a gamble. It's uh, it's all upside from here. But like, I mean, yeah, I'm like, why am I taking Wilson Contreras early when I can take uh, this guy like a million? I, picks you know, away? it's funny. He, I, I called out Will Smith just because it was interesting to me that they were going one pick apart. But that you know, this is really like the top of uh, uh, the second tier, or you know, call it the third tier, or the fourth tier, whatever you want to call it. But like, uh, Will, I mean, Wilson Contreras is going way earlier. So like. Mm-hmm several the two or three rounds earlier so uh so you know this is a first tier catcher or a top tier you know however you do the tiers or whatever uh, he's a he's a catcher that should be going in a different set of catchers is what i'm trying to say yes <laughs> earlier but yeah no that's that's a great one anybody else uh here we go here uh turner no incarnacion no manea no when you're uh, when you're crossing those off, do, do you want to talk about them as avoids? Because we don't have to go uh, in any particular order here. Uh, right, I don't know uh, if you're Tur- actually avoiding them or not. But. No, I mean, Turner's fine. Um, it's just, you know, he, he does have significant injury history. Third base is incredibly deep as well. Um, I know what you just... said earlier about stat picking, but I did throw out a tweet. And, you know, some, sometimes when I when I just throw out these tweets without a lot of explanation, it's not meant to – uh, say that I'm completely in on or completely out on the player. But I did notice that uh, Turner, for the first time ever, had a hard time hitting uh, breaking balls in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be due to some of the nagging injuries he dealt with or something like that. But he isn't getting any younger. So, yeah, um, I think the days of him being given you those elite numbers, that those silent elite numbers are – a little, a little gone. And I mean, with guys like JD Davis going considerably later and, and Hunter Dozier, who's flawed but gonna give you the numbers you deserve it's just it seems like an unnecessary risk because there's so many people you can get later um where he's fine edwin encarnacion he's actually a pretty good value to be honest i know i skipped over him but he again is going to give you what you want if, if you're hurting for power in that area i actually would argue he's a good value i mean there's nothing exciting you know everything you need to know about e3 but i think edwin is is pretty good uh, i agree actually we talked about him as a as a target um on one of my previous episodes comparing him to reese hoskins like four rounds earlier and mm-hmm. he's pretty much going to get you everything that you can expect from hoskins you know 35 ish home runs and a uh, not a great batting average and he's in a 
lineup that has just become really good. <laughs> so I agree. Uh, I agree and disagree at the same time with the Hoskins thing, only because I think if you're talking likelihood, I agree. Hoskins, I think, does have that uh, ceiling. That, he definitely um, has a little upside more than I mean, because he's he's got the youth basically on it. Well, and they season. fired their hitting coach in Philly specifically because of what the person did to Reese Hoskins. Um, <laughs> he tried give making he Reese Hoskins kind of be a more all fields guy and be an overall better hitter instead of being just the pull masher he is, and that's what happened in the second uh, half when he was so terrible. So that's um, what happened when he couldn't hit the Mendoza line. I yes. was thinking, you know, he had a he had a minor injury. I think he was on the IL for just one, you know, minimum stint around the, the early August. And I was wondering if he had lingering problems from that, but your narrative makes uh, pretty good sense too. Yeah. I mean, all, I mean, it's, it, they didn't come out. The Phillies didn't come out and say, Oh, you ruined Reese. So we fired you, but all reports behind the scenes seem to indicate that he was the chief reason they moved on. Wow. So, I mean, Reese is an interesting guy. Uh, he still, again, is, is, is a flawed dude, but you can add him to the list of reasons why you don't draft Pete Alonzo, <laughs> but uh, he's just another yeah. person. Well, that's, a, that's maybe even a more interesting comparison is to, to think about how far you drop him. But we've already talked about Pete Alonzo and I don't want to harp on it. <laughs> um, Martinez Aquino is an avoid for me. Okay. Um, I, well, I liked him a lot. It's getting easier to avoid him, I will say, just because of the playing time loss. Yes. You know, I'm not like, sure. I mean, are we sure he starts the season in the majors? No, no, yeah, definitely yeah. not. In fact, I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked at roster resource. I'm going to do that if it'll pull up. Um, but but the interesting thing to me is, you know, he, he was pretty much getting penciled in until they signed, was it, well, Akiyama first and then Castellanos. So he's not even in the starting lineup now. Roster Resource has him on the bench, like as a as a fill in, uh, right righty platoon. He's a righty um, in the outfield somewhere. But I mean, they've got Akiyama as a strong side. They've got they've got Winker as a strong side. But you could even see um, that being in flux with Sinzel coming back. It also this, depends yeah, on the health, right? I mean, we don't know what's going on at this Senzel, point with, with well, well, Sinzel has his own issues, and then Eduardo Perez or not Eduardo Perez. What, what the heck am I saying? Eugenio Suarez. Um, we don't know exactly the extent of that injury. I mean, they, they kind of just dumped it on us and then no one's talked about it since. So I'd, I'd love to see where he fits in because if he's not necessarily going to be ready, uh, you never know how that could shake out as well. I mean, my take is I, I think Castellanos is every day. Uh, Akiyama is at least going to be strong side platoon. Um, and then I don't feel good about anybody else in the outfield there. Winker, Aquino, Sinzel, even when he comes back, you know, they've got Philip Irvin. I, I put out a tweet a long time ago about like all of their myriad guys that could pull up from the minors, like back to Scott Shebler, if you remember him, you know, and Jankowski. Yeah, sure. There are all these guys that can fill in. And, you know, like it's going to be hard for those guys to even do their usual utility things because of all the guys that, that are trying to work in, um, you know, that we've already talked about. It's just, it's, it's crazy. So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty hard avoid on Aquino at this point too. Where um, was the yeah, cutoff of where people we were talking about? What was the ADP? I'm like, I don't know if I'm going down too far. I, I went through the end of the 12th round, which would be 180 JD Davis. He is a, a big time target for me. Yeah. And uh, I know you did, I, this was maybe my favorite uh, of the profiles that you did just because I, you know, as much as I kind of joke around about being the Danny Santana guy, and I do have him on a lot of teams, uh, J.D. Davis, I feel a lot better about. And, you know, you said you're a Mets fan, right? I mean, like the only 
I have to admit, I wish he was on a different team because I'm worried that the Mets aren't going to play him. But they've yeah. got to play him because he's amazing. Well, here's the thing. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the, the true extent to the logjam he faces, he's he's currently the starting left fielder. He just is. Yoannis Cespedes is working himself back. There's, It's impossible to judge. I mean, he had surgery on both heels. So we'll see how it's going um, with him. You have Dominic Smith, who's plugging up a corner spot. You have J.D. Davis in there. You have... Um, Jed Lowry still hanging around. Uh, so there's a lot of people that are kind of dipping into the pot here. I think that J.D. Davis will hit well enough to where he will be in the lineup no matter what. Some people are trying to make the, the decision because of defense. Maybe they'll go with Nemo and left and, and um, Jake Marisnik in center. No way will they ever put Nemo and Marisnik out there at the same time if it's not the end of the game for defensive reasons. They're never going to start a game together. And I'm still not sure Jake Marisnik doesn't get cut. He was brought in. Not by Brody Van Wagenen, but Carlos Beltran is the one who wanted to bring him in from Houston. Red flag. Uh, <laughs> so um, I I think that the the it'll be there for JD Davis. I think the at bats will be there because of those guys I'll mentioned. I think two of them are probably not even on the team come opening day. But again, Mets are going to Mets, so who knows what the roster will look like. But it makes no sense for them to go in. So there is some red flags there. But if he gets every day at bats, I mean, he is. I mean, he's a great hitter. I mean, a lot of people make the J.D. Martinez comparison. They're not the same person, um, uh, but uh, some of the their batted ball, pro, batted ball profile lines up. J.D. Mar- J.D. Davis. This is gonna people are, is gonna rub people the wrong way. J.D. Davis is a better hitter than J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez is a more productive hitter. Uh, J.D. Martinez is a more productive hitter than J.D. Davis. But J.D. Davis, as an actual hitter, is a better hitter, and that's where his ceiling is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think even with the, even with the concerns at 180, 180-ish, uh, he's, he's a big steal for me still. Um, if the second he's named the everyday player, there's some kind of a change in injury or trade, uh, he'll jump way up. So even the guy going right behind him too, Chris Davis, I mean, there's two guys that are insanely uh, valuable. Well, I don't want to go on and on and on, but I have to mention like JD Davis, how good of a hitter is he? His uh, X batting average is expected batting average against fastballs, breaking balls, and off speed. Off speed is always a small sample, but all three were over 300 expected. So he's backing up everything that he's doing. And you would kind of expect a guy like that to be, you know, sort of hit tool first with not a ton of power. He had 36 barrels in not a full uh, contingent of at bats. I'm not looking at the number of at bats that he had, but. His barrel rate was uh, 7.9. I, I say barrel rate. Barrels per plate appearance was 7.9, which was good for, uh, let's see, 56 best in the league. Uh, I mean, he's he's amazing. Um, so I don't And there's always I'm, that thing I think I mentioned earlier. Never be surprised when a guy who's supposed to be really good is good. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I mean, the be- that's the best confirmation you can get. I mean, scouts get paid for a reason. If they think a guy's going to be great and all of a sudden he comes to the MLB and he's great, just take it for what it is. This guy was a batting champion. <laughs> Don't in overthink it. Yeah. yeah, in the minor leagues, he was a batting champion. He bit 342, 406, and 583 in uh, 2018 in the minors and won a batting title. I mean, come on, people. I mean, I can understand people being concerned, especially because it's the Mets. No offense. But, you know, Dang. I think him and Michael Conforto are just, are just going to be there every day. And then they'll figure out the rest. So I'm with you. Um, 
what else we got? Any about any other uh, targets here? Any avoids? No, it's a bunch of blah people. Willie Calhouni and Kennedy, Mike Miner. Uh, Mike Miner's in a void. I think last year was a little bit of anomaly. He he ended the year poorly, and he still has all those injury risks. So there's just people. Again, he's one of those people that even at this price, um, there's more attractive options. So I'm probably not going to end up with him. Ian I Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, Ian Kennedy's. You know when Ian Kennedy is on your team when everyone else is gone. <laughs> yes, but I think Ian Kennedy was is kind of a successful uh, transition from a starting pitcher to the bullpen. You know, we've Facing seen a lot Isring of this. Housing kind of thing. Well, uh, we've seen a lot of this in the last just couple of years. I mean, uh, uh, Pomeranz was incredible out of the bullpen, uh, not as a closer, of course, but um, uh, who was it last year? Um, well, I, I just talked, I had Greg Jewett on. He uh, is with uh, Fancy Alarm and he, he was talking to me about closers and he, he threw out a bunch of these guys who have, uh, transitioned and they just work a lot better. And one of our one of our sort of mutual picks to hopefully uh, have that kind of a transition it would be a very late pick of Alex Reyes. And obviously, there's a lot of other guys who could end up in the closer role there, and so he could just end up as a random bullpen bullpen member. But you know, he has a problem with walks. He's never really not had a problem with walks, but his stuff is just incredible. So if he could be healthy, he could really thrive in the bullpen. And um, Ian Kennedy really has. And I, I don't really think there's a lot of other guys that are going to take him out of that role. I mean, he could definitely get traded, uh, but he didn't last year. So uh, he's an interesting guy to me. I, again, I, I wait pretty late on closers. So I actually get a lot of Ian Kennedy. And I would even say he's a target here. Although, I mean, that's if you're going for a closer here. There's there's a lot of value in this round. Um, yeah, he's not in a void for me, I should say. He just wasn't he was neither. Um if you've got if you if, if you get, you know, closers around when most people have at least one or two, and that's like, you know, eighth or ninth round, you're probably not seeing a lot of Ian Kennedy. If you if you play the waiting game, you're probably getting him almost every draft. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, yeah, Will Smith at one forty four, the reliever, not the catcher. I mean, I'd much rather have Ian Kennedy at one seventy. Yeah, that makes that makes no sense. And I've I've talked about that a little bit in the past, but like draft a guy that has the job. You know, I'd rather draft Melanson at this point. I don't like Melanson. I don't like I don't even like Melanson to keep the job, but at least he's gonna have it to start the season. So yep. but anyway. Um, I wouldn't take him till much later, of course, but, uh, other guys here, I, I'm looking for like a hard avoid. I don't really, I, you know, I kind of talked a little bit about, I'm, I'm getting concerned about Justin Turner, but this is pretty late, you know, um, Sean Mania, I think would be a guy that I'm avoiding, uh, and that would be sort of a innings concern. And we haven't ever seen him do it for an extended stretch. I just, I would rather have Matt Boyd here. I'd rather have, uh, even Herman Marquez. I'll, 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 uh, you know, deal with the frustration, you know, but uh, I like the skills. I'm with you. I'm not really big on Mike Miner, but, but yeah, as far as hard avoids, not really anybody. I'm, I mean, I'm Justin, not... Justin Turner is kind of, is kind of a soft avoid for me. I know I mentioned him a little earlier, but I mean, it has to do with the people behind him. I said, JD Davis is going uh, later, Hunter Dozier, even Brian Anderson, who's going significantly later. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not, you, you don't get that upside that Turner gave you, but I don't think Turner offers that anymore. Uh, he's oh. in a much better lineup, and when he's in, he'll obviously be able to deliver. But Brian Anderson's getting better year after year after year, and he's guaranteed every day at bats. So for someone who's going like nearly a hundred picks later, like you know, give me someone like that. I'll say that I am not. And Gio Urshela is another example. Sorry. Oh sure. Uh, I mean. I guess there's not a ton of hard avoids. I'll say that I'm not drafting any Willie Calhoun. Um, I just think that people are dreaming a little too big, but like 
this is not a terrible price. I just, I think a lot of people think he's going to hit 290 or something. I'm just, I'm really not seeing it. It, it could happen though. We we talked about some people last round who, um, you know, could show something that they haven't shown before. And and even Will Smith, the catcher here, his ex, his expected batting average was not good last year. It was, let's see, Will Smith. He was, uh, he had a 225 expected batting average and sure there's some power, but um, I would be, I would not um, want to have him, you know, I would not want to have to plan around Will Smith um, as my, as my catcher. So uh, I think I, I don't know. I haven't, I don't, I'm not really drafting Jake Odorizzi, but he's, he's not a guy I would target or avoid here. He's kind of like the, the Marquez and the Matthew Boyd. Like I'll, if I'm taking a starting pitcher here, he's a reasonable choice. Um well, I was going to try to do one more round, but I think this we've probably uh, had so many players in these two rounds to talk about that let, let's just go ahead and cut it off here. Uh, Chris Davis, everybody, draft him. Why? Why is he going so late? Okay, we'll go to pick one eighty-one, and that's, <laughs> that's no. Chris. We just wanted to shout him out. I knew he was coming up next. We'll just we can end it uh, at that. Chris I always Davis. have to say Chris Davis of Oakland because otherwise I get, I still get confused. Oh. Even though oh yes, Chris Davis, Chris Davis is... of Baltimore. Does he even play? Is he in the <laughs> he's, league? He's completely <laughs> undrafted in any format. But uh, but yeah, so Chris Davis. Let's talk about him for a second because because Chris Davis of Oakland. Uh, was like the most consistent player for was it four years running? He hit you know two forty seven every year, and he had forty ish home runs or quite a bit more some years. Yeah. Uh, the, you know he was injured last year. Is that the end of the story? He was injured last year. Yeah, yes, that is the end of the story. I mean, you know what he's going to do this year? He's going to 247 with 40 home runs. So, I mean, so, yes. So this is incredible. The, his incredible only, the only downside is the same downside he always had when he was being drafted in the top 100, and that's his utility only. That's yeah. still the case for me. That's, you know, he's, he's, he's a steal. Not a way to, not a bad way to clog up your util spot, I have to say. Yeah, um, the util thing, I still don't get why that bothers so many people. Jordan Alvarez is obviously going into a sophomore season, so I get the red flags there. But again, Nelson Cruz, the the guy who's never going to apparently hit the age wall, uh, just these utility guys, just disrespect, man. Nelson Cruz still going later than he should. At some point, he was close to pick 100, which is just a tragedy. But he's at pick 86 now in, in you know the, the time frame that I'm looking at. And I'd still – I think I would still take that even over uh, Chris Davis at this price. Chris Davis is a deal at this price for sure. But, I, you know, if I can get Nelson Cruz, I'm getting Nelson Cruz. Well, like Nelson Cruz is cream of the crop. Like he's stack great. Has, if you look at like hard hit and all those stuff, like top 1%, it's like it's yeah. like Jordan Alvarez, him, Jorge Soler. I mean, there's – there's a few people that really just destroy the ball, and he's he's one of them. Still, it doesn't age people. He's a robot. He's incredible. No. There's there's probably audio from some experts seven years ago saying that Nelson Cruz is about to go on a downturn because of his age. I mean, you know, it's easy to buy into that narrative, but uh, he's definitely been a good lesson in not doing that until the skills start to show it. So, yeah. Well, Matt, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thanks, thanks for coming on and, and, and going through this with me and, and talking about the stuff that you're doing too. Speaking of the stuff you're doing, what would you like to uh, let the listeners know that you are working on? Uh, yeah, you can find all my player threads on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. I host the Turn 2 podcast a couple times a week uh, with MLB Moving Averages, Andy Singleton, FF Stompy. We always have uh, all sorts of guests coming up. I think we have Derek Van Ripper coming up on Tuesday. Cool. Um, always and- great stuff. And yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. I put all my a lot of uh, links to everything I do on Twitter. Uh, you can always reach out to me and ask me questions. 
Cool. Well, thanks a lot. And um, thanks everybody for listening. That'll do it for this episode of Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. So find me on Twitter at Common Sense FBB. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.